Chapter Thirteen of the Conquest of Canaan by Ruth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: The Watcher and the Warden. There was a custom of Canaan, time-worn and seldom honored in the breach, which put Ariel that afternoon in easy possession of a coin of vantage commanding the front gate. The heavy Sunday dinner was finished in silence on the part of judge pike deafening about three o'clock and soon after amy tossed a number of cushions out upon the stoop between the cast-iron dogs sam warden having previously covered the steps with a rug and placed several garden chairs nearby on the grass these simple preparations concluded eugene sprawled comfortably upon the rug and mamie seated herself near him while ariel wandered with apparent aimlessness about the lawn followed by the gaze of mr bantry until miss pike begged her a little petulantly to join them she came looking about her dreamily and touching to her lips now and then with an absent air a clover blossom she had found in the longer grass against the fence she stopped to pat the neck of one of the cast-iron deer and with grave eyes proffered the clover-top first for inspection then as food there were those in the world who seeing her might have wondered that the deer did not play galactia and come to life no she said aloud to the steadfast head you won't what a mistake to be made of cast iron she smiled and nodded to a clump of lilac bushes near a cedar tree and to nothing else so far as eugene and mamie could see then walked thoughtfully to the steps who in the world were you speaking to asked mamie curiously that dear but you bowed to someone oh that ariel lifted her eyebrows that was your father didn't you see him no i believe you can't from here after all said ariel slowly he's sitting upon a rustic bench between the bushes and the cedar tree quite near the gate no you couldn't see him from here You'd have had to go as far as the deer, at least, and even then you might not notice him unless you looked for him. He has a book, a Bible, I think, but I don't think he's reading. He usually takes a nap on Sunday afternoons, said Mamie. I don't think he will today. Ariel looked at Eugene, who avoided her clear gaze. He has the air of having settled himself to stay for a long time, perhaps until evening. She had put on her hat after dinner, and Mamie now inquired if she would not prefer to remove it, offering to carry it indoors for her, to Ariel's room to ensure its safety. You look so sort of temporary wearing it, she urged, as if you were only here for a little while. It's the loveliest hat I ever saw, and so fragile, too. But I'll take care. Ariel laughed, leaned over, and touched the other's hand lightly it isn't that dear what is it then mamie beamed out into a joyful smile she had felt sure that she could not understand ariel was indeed afraid of her and she found herself astonishingly pleased to be called dear and delighted with the little familiarity of the hand tap her feeling toward the visitor who was so her father had announced to become a permanent member of the household had been until now undefined she had been on her guard watching for some sign of conscious superiority in this lady who had been so long overseas not knowing what to make of her 
so thrown by the contents of her trunk into a wistfulness which would have been something of rapture in it had she been sure that she was going to like ariel she had gone to the latter's room before church and had perceived uneasily that it had become even by the process of unpacking the prettiest room she had ever seen mrs warden wife of sam and handmaiden of the mansion was assisting alternately faint and vociferous with marvelling mamie feared that amy might be a little overpowering with the word dear that is of course with the way it was spoken and with a touch upon the hand it was all suddenly settled she would not understand ariel always that was clear but they would like each other i'm wearing my hat answered ariel because at any moment i may decide to go for a long walk oh i hope not said amy there's sure to be people a few still come even though i'm an engaged girl i expect that's just to console me though she added smiling over this worn quip of the betrothed and shaking her head at eugene who grew red and coughed there'll be plenty to-day but they won't be here to see me it's you ariel and they'll be terribly disappointed if you weren't here i shouldn't wonder if the whole town came it's curious enough about you canaan at least that part of it which mamie meant when she said the whole town already offered testimony to her truthfulness two gentlemen aged nine and eleven and clad in white sailor suits were at that moment grooving their cheeks between the round pickets of the gate they had come from the house across the street evidently stimulated by the conversation at their own recent dinner-table they wore a few deposits such as were left by a chocolate cake and the motive of their conduct became obvious when upon being joined by a person from next door a starched and frilled person of the opposite sex but sympathetic age one of them waggled a forefinger through the gate at ariel and a voice was heard in explanation that's her there was a rustle in the lilac bushes near the cedar tree the three small heads turned simultaneously in that direction. Something terrific was evidently seen, and with a horrifying ooh, the trio skedaddled headlong. They were but the gay vanguard of the life which the street, quite dead to the Sunday dinner hour, presently took on. Young couples with their progeny began to appear, returning from the weekly reunion Sunday dinner with relatives. Young people meditated until they reached the Pike Mansion, the wives fanning themselves or shooing the tots able to walk ahead of them, while the husbands, wearing long coats, satin ties, and showing dust upon their blazing shoes, invariably pushed the perambulators. Most of these passers-by exchanged greetings with Mamie and Eugene, and all of them looked hard at Ariel as long as it was possible and now the young men of the town laboriously arranged as to apparel began to appear on the street in small squads making their sunday rounds the youngest working in phalanxes of threes and fours those somewhat older inclining to move in pairs the eldest such as were now beginning to be considered middle-aged beaux or by the extremely useful old bachelors evidently considered it advantageous to travel alone 
of all these there were few who did not before evening fell turn in at the gate of the pike mansion consciously shyly or confidently according to the condition of their souls they made their way between the cast-iron deer to be presented to the visitors ariel sat at the top of the steps and looking amiably over their heads talked with such as could get near her there were many who could not and amy occupying the bench below was surrounded by the overflow the difficulty of reaching and maintaining a position near miss tabor was increased by the attitude and behavior of mr flitcroft who that day cooled the feeling of friendship which several of his fellow townsmen had hitherto entertained for him he had been the first to arrive coming alone though that was not his custom and he established himself at ariel's right upon the step just below her so disposing the great body and the ponderous arms and legs the gods had given him that no one could mount above him to sit beside her or approach her from that direction within conversational distance once established he was not to be dislodged and the only satisfaction for those in this manner disbarred from the society of the beautiful stranger was obtained when they were presented to her and when they took their departure on these occasions it was necessary by custom for them to shake her hand a ceremony they accomplished by leaning across mr flitcroft which was a long way to lean and the fat back and shoulders were sore that night because of what had been surreptitiously done to them by revengeful elbows and knees norbert not ordinarily talkative had nothing to say he seemed to find sufficient occupation in keeping the place he had gained and from this close vantage he fastened his small eyes immovably upon ariel's profile eugene also apparently determined not to move sat throughout the afternoon at her left but as he was thin others who came and went were able to approach upon that side and hold speech with her she was a stranger to these young people most of whom had grown up together in a nickname intimacy few of them had more than a very imperfect recollection of her as she was before roger tabor and she had departed out of canaan she had lived her girlhood only upon their borderland with no intimates save her grandfather and joe and she returned to her native town a revelation and a dream as young mr bradbury told his incredulous grandmother that night the conversation of the gallants consisted for the greater part of witticisms at one another's expense which though evoked for ariel's benefit all eyes furtively reverting to her as each shaft was loosed she found more or less ignomatical the young men however laughed at each other loudly and seemed content if now and then she smiled you must be frightfully ennuied with all this eugene said to her you see how provincial we still are she did not answer she had not heard them the shadows were stretching themselves over the grass long and attenuated the sunlight upon the trees and houses was like a thin rosy pigment blackbirds were calling each other home to beech and elm and ariel's eyes were fixed upon the western distance of the street where gold dust was beginning to quiver in the air she did not hear eugene but she started a moment later 
when the name of joe louden was pronounced by a young man the poetic bradbury on the step below eugene someone immediately said Shh! but she leaned over and addressed mr bradbury who shut out not only from the group about her but from the other centering upon miss pike as well was holding a private conversation with a friend in like misfortune what were you saying about mr louden she asked smiling down upon the young man it was this smile which inspired his description of her as a revelation and a dream oh nothing particular was the embarrassed reply i only mentioned i'd heard there was some talk among the he paused awkwardly remembering that ariel had walked with joseph louden in the face of canaan that very day that is i mean to say there's some talk of his running for mayor what there was a general exclamation followed by an uncomfortable moment or two of silence no one present was unaware of that noon walk though there was prevalent a pleasing notion that it would not happen again founded on the idea that ariel having only arrived the previous evening had probably met joe on the street by accident and remembering him as a playmate of her childhood and uninformed as to his reputation had naturally enough permitted him to walk home with her mr flitcroft broke the silence rushing into words with a derisive laugh yes he's talked of for mayor by the saloon people and the niggers i expect the beaver beach crowd would be for him and if tramps could vote he might what is beaver beach asked ariel not turning what is beaver beach he repeated and cast his eyes to the sky shaking his head awesomely it's a place he said with abysmal solemnity a place i shouldn't have mentioned in your presence miss tabor what has it to do with mr louden the predestined Norbert conceived the present to be heaven-sent opportunity to enlighten her concerning Joe's character, since the Pikes appeared to have been derelict in the performance of this kindness. He goes there, he proceeded heavily. He lived there for a while when he first came back from running away, and he's a friend of Mike Sheehan's that runs it. He's a friend of all the riff-raff that hang around there how do you know he goes there why it was in the paper the day after he came back he appealed for corroboration wasn't it eugene no no she persisted newspapers are sometimes mistaken aren't they laughing a little she swept across the bulbous face beside her a swift regard that was like a searchlight how do you know mr flitcroft she went on very rapidly raising her voice how do you know that mr louden is familiar with this place the newspapers may have been falsely informed you must admit that then how do you know have you ever met anyone who has seen him there i've seen him there myself the word skipped out of norbert's mouth like so many little devils the instant he opened it she had spoken so quickly and with such vehemence looking him full in the eye that he had forgotten everything in the world except making the point to which her insistence had led him mamie looked horrified there was a sound of smothered laughter and norbert overwhelmed by the treachery of his own mouth sat gasping it can't be such a terrific place then after all said ariel gently and turning to eugene have you ever been there mr bantry she asked 
He changed color, but answered with enough glibness, No. Several of the young men rose. The wretched Flitcroft, however, evading Mamie's eye, of which there was a distinct hint, sat where he was until all of them, except Eugene, had taken a reluctant departure, one group after another, leaving in the order of their arrival. The rosy pigment which had colored the trees faded. The gold dust of the western distance danced itself pale and departed. Dusk stalked into the town from the east, and still the watcher upon the steps and the warden of the gate, he of the lilac bushes and the Bible, held their places and waited, waited, alas, in vain. Ah, Joe, is this the medal of your daring? Did you not say you would try? Was your courage so frail a vessel that it could not carry you even to the gate yonder? Surely you knew that if you had striven so far, there you would have been met. Perhaps you foresaw that not one but two would meet you at the gate, both the warden and the watcher. What of that? What of that, old faint-heart? What was there to fear? Listen, the gate clicks. Ah, have you come at last? Ariel started to her feet but the bent figure coming up the walk in the darkness was that of Eskew Arp. He bowed gloomily to Mamie, and in response to her inquiry if he wished to see her father, answered no. He had come to talk with the granddaughter of his old friend, Roger Tabor. Mr. Arp, called Ariel, I'm so very glad. She ran down to him and gave him her hand. We'll sit here on the bench, shan't we? Mamie had risen, and skirting Norbert frostily, touched Eugene upon the shoulder as she went up the steps. He understood that he was to follow her indoors, and after a deep look at the bench where Ariel had seated herself beside Mr. Arp, he obeyed. Norbert was left a lonely ruin between the cold twin dogs. He had wrought desolation this afternoon, and that sweet verdure, his good name, so long in the planting, so carefully tended, was now a dreary waste. Yet he contemplated this not so much as his present aspect of splendid isolation. Frozen by the daughter of the house, forgotten by the visitor, whose conversation with Mr. Arp was carried on in tones so low that he could not understand it, the fat one, though heartbreakingly loath to take himself away, began to comprehend that his hour had struck. He rose, descended the steps to the bench, and seated himself unexpectedly upon the cement walk at Ariel's feet. Legs gone to sleep, he explained in response to her startled exclamation. But, like a great soul, ignoring the accident of his position as well as the presence of Mr. Arp, he immediately proceeded. Will you go riding with me tomorrow afternoon? aren't you very good-natured mr flitcroft she asked with an odd intonation i'm imposed on often enough he replied rubbing his leg by people who think i am why it is only that your sitting so abruptly upon the ground reminded me of something that happened long ago before i left canaan the last time i met you i don't think i knew you before you went away you haven't said if you'll go riding with me tomorrow please get up 
interrupted Mr. Arp acidly. Somebody'll fall over you if you stay there. Such a catastrophe in truth loomed imminent. Judge Pike was rapidly approaching on his way to the house, Bible in hand, far better in hand than was his temper, for it is an enraging thing to wait five hours in ambush for a man who does not come. In the darkness a desecration occurred, and Norbert perfected to the last detail whatever had been left incomplete of his own destruction. He began lumberingly to rise, talking at the same time, urging upon Ariel the charms of the roadside. Wild flowers were in blossom, he said, recounting the benefits she might derive through acceptance of his invitation, and having thus busily risen to his knees, became aware that someone was passing near him. This someone, Mr. Flitcroft, absorbed in artful persuasions, may have been betrayed by the darkness to mistake for Eugene. Reaching out for assistance, he mechanically seized upon the skirts of a coat, which he put to the uses of a rope, coming up hand over hand with such noble weight and energy that he brought himself to his feet and the owner of the coat to the ground simultaneously. The latter, hideously astonished, went down with an objurgation so outrageous in venom that Mr. Arp jumped with the shock. Judge Pike got to his feet quickly, but not so quickly as the piteous Flitcroft betook himself into the deep shadows of the street. Only a word, hoarse and horror-stricken, was left quivering on the night breeze by this accursed, whom the gods, intent upon his ruin, had early in the day, at his first sight of Ariel, in good truth made mad murder. "'Can I help you brush off, Judge?' asked Eskew, rising painfully. Either Martin Pike was beyond words or the courtesy proposed by the feeble old fellow, for Erskew was now very far along in years and looked his age, emphasized too bitterly the indignity which had been put upon him. Whatever the case, he went his way indoors, leaving the cynic's offer unacknowledged. Erskew sank back upon the bench with the little rusty sounds suggestions of creaks and sighs which accompany the movement of antiques i've always thought he said that the judge had spells when he was hard of hearing oblongs of light abruptly dropped from the windows confronting them one falling across the bench appropriately touching with lemon the acrid withered face and trembling hands of the veteran you're younger than you were nine years ago mr arp said ariel gaily I caught a glimpse of you upon the street today, and I thought so then. Now I see that I was right. Me? Younger? he groaned. No, ma'am. I'm mighty near through with this fool world, and I'll be glad of it. If I didn't expect that if there is another one afterwards, it would be just as ornery, she laughed, leaning forward, resting her elbows on her knee and her chin in her hand so that the shadow of her hat shielded her eyes from the light i thought you looked surprised when you saw me today. i reckon i did he exclaimed who wouldn't have been why why he repeated confounded by her simplicity why yes she laughed that's what i'm anxious to know wasn't the whole town the same way he demanded did you meet anybody that didn't look surprised? But why should they? Good Lord Almighty, he broke out. 
Ain't you got any looking glasses? I think almost all I have are still in the customs warehouse. Then use Mamie Pike's, responded the old man. The town never dreamed you was going to turn out pretty at all, let alone the way you turned out pretty. The coxswain had a good deal about your looks and so forth in at once, and a letter from Paris. But the folks that remembered you kind of set that down to the way papers talk about anybody with money, and nobody was prepared for it when they saw you. You don't need to drop no curtsies to me, he said his mouth grimly in response to the bow she made him. I think female beauty is like all other human furbelows and as holler as heaven will be if only the good people are let in. But yet I did stop to look at you when you went past me today, and I kept on looking long as you were in sight. I reckon I always will when I get the chance, too. Only shows what human nature is. But that wasn't all that folks was staring at today. It was your walking with Joe Loudon that really finished it. And I can say it upset me more than anything I've seen for a good many years. Upset you, Mr. Arp, she cried. I don't quite see. The old man shook his head deploringly. After what I'd written you about that boy. Ah, she said softly, touching his sleeve with her fingers. I haven't thanked you for that. You needn't, he returned sharply. It was a pleasure. You remember how easy and quick I promised you? I remember that you were very kind. Kind? He gave forth an acid and chilling laugh. It was about two months after Loudon ran away and before you and Roger left Canaan. And you asked me to promise to write to you whenever the word of that outcast came. I didn't put it so, Mr. Arp. No, but you'd ought to. You asked me to write you whenever news of him should come and if he came back to tell you how and when and all about it. And I did it, and kept you sharp on his record ever since he landed here again. Do you know how I've done it? Do you know how I promised so quick and easy I would do it? Out of the kindness of your heart, I think. The acid laugh was repeated. No, ma'am. You couldn't have guessed colder. I promised, and I kept my promise, because I knew there would never be anything good to tell and there never was nothing at all she insisted gravely never i leave it to you if i've written one good word of him you've written of the treatment he's received here she began and i've been able to see what he has borne and bears but have i written one word to show that he didn't deserve it all haven't I told you everything of his associates is? Indeed, you have. Then do you wonder that I was more surprised than most when I saw you walking with him today? Because I know you did it in cold blood and knowledge aforethought. Other folks thought it was because you hadn't been here long enough to hear his reputation, but I knew. Tell me, she said, if you were disappointed when you saw me with it. Yes, he snapped. I was. I thought so. I saw the consternation in your face. You approved, didn't you? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. I know it bothers you to have me read you between the lines, but for this once you must let me. You're so consistent that you are never disappointed when things turn out badly, or people are wicked or foolish, are you? 
No, certainly not. I expect it. And you were disappointed in me today. Therefore it must be that I was doing something you knew was right and good. You see? She leaned a little closer to him, smiling angelically. Ah, Mr. Arp, she cried, I know your secret. You admire me. He rose, confused and incoherent, as full of denial as a detected pickpocket. I don't. Me admire? What? It's an ornery world, he protested. I don't admire any human that ever lived. Yes, you do, she persisted. I've just proved it, and that is the least of your secret. The great thing is this. You admire Mr. Loudon. I never heard such nonsense, he continued to protest at the same time, moving down the walk toward the gate, leaning heavily on his stick. Nothing of the kind. There ain't any logic to that kind of an argument, nor no reason. You see, I understand you, she called after him. I'm sorry you go away in the bitterness of being found out. Found out? His stick ceased for a moment to tap the cement. Pooh! he ejaculated uneasily. There was a pause, followed by a malevolent chuckle. At any rate, he said, with joy and the afterthought, you'll never go walking with him again. He waited for the answer, which came, after a time, sadly. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps I shall not. Ah, I thought so. Good night. Good night, Mr. Art. She turned toward the lighted house. Through the windows nearest her she could see Mamie, seated in the familiar chair, following with happy and tender eyes the figure of Eugene, who was pacing up and down the room. The town was deadly quiet. Ariel could hear the sound of footsteps perhaps a block away. She went to the gate and gazed a long time into the empty street, watching the yellow grains of light seed through the maples from the arc lights on the corner, moving to and fro in the deep shadow as the lamp swung slightly in the night air. Somewhere, not far away, the peace was broken by the screams of a parlor organ, which honked and wailed in pious agonies. The intention was hymnal, interminably protracting each spasm. Presently a woman's voice outdid the organ, a voice which made vivid the picture of the woman who owned it, and a ploughed forehead of her, above the nose-glasses where the grace notes were proudly given birth rescue the perishing was the startlingly appropriate selection rendered with inconceivable lingering upon each syllable rescue the at unexpected intervals two male voices evidently belonging to men who had contracted the habit of holding tin in their mouths joined the lady in a thorough search for the lost cord. That was the last of silence in Canaan for an hour or so. The organ was merely inaugural. Across the street a piano sounded, firm, emphatic, determined. Vocal competition with the instrument here also, rock of ages, the incentive. Another piano presently followed suit in a neighboring house, precious jewels. More distant, a second organ was heard. Other pianos, other organs took up other themes. 
and as a wakeful puppy's barking will go over a village at night stirring first the nearer dogs to give voice these in turn stimulating those farther away to join one passing the excitement on to another until hounds and farmyards far beyond the town contribute to the long-distance conversation even so did rescue the perishing enliven the greater part of canaan it was this that made ariel realize a thing of which hitherto she had not been able to convince herself that she was actually once more in the town where she had spent her long ago girlhood now grown to seem the girlhood of some other person it was true her foot was on her native heath and her name was ariel tabor the very name of the girl who had shared the town's disapproval with joe louden rescue the perishing brought it all back to her and she listened to these sharply familiar rites of the canaanite sabbath evening with a shiver of pain she turned from the gate to go into the house heard eugene's voice at the door and paused he was saying good-night to mamie and please say au revoir to miss tabor for me he added peering out under his hand i don't know where she can have gone probably she came in and went to her room said mamie don't forget to tell her au revoir i won't dear good night good night she lifted her face and he kissed her perfunctorily then he came down the steps and went slowly toward the gate looking about him into the darkness as if searching for something but ariel had fled away from the path of light that led from the open door she skimmed noiselessly across the lawn and paused at the side of the house leaning against the veranda where on a night long past a boy had hid and a girl had wept a small creaking sound fell upon her ear and she made out an ungainly figure approaching wheeling something of a curious shape is that you sam she said mr warden stopped close by yes am he replied i'm getting out the hoe to lay the dust yonder he stretched an arm along the crossbar of the reel relaxing himself apparently for conversation y'all done changed considerable miss ariel he continued with the directness of one sure of privilege you think so sam yes everybody thinks so i reckon been a terrible lot of talking about you to-day don't know how them other young ladies gonna take it he laughed with immoderate delight yet as to the volume of mere sound discreetly with an eye to open windows you got em all beat miss ariel ain't been no one round this town ever going a thousand miles of you the looks and the way you walk and carry yourself and as for the clothes name of the good lord honey they ain't never see style before my woman say you got more fixin's in a minute than the whole rest of em got in a year she say when she heaven you unpack she must have seen more'n a hundred pairs of slippers alone and the good man knows i remember when you runnin round back yards and up the alley rompin with joe loudon same you was a boy do you ever see mr loudon nowadays she asked his laugh was repeated with the same discreet violence ain't i seen him this very day for up the street at the gate yonder standin with you when i drivin the judge you you didn't happen to see him anywhere this, this afternoon no and i ain't see him 
Joe's laughter vanished, and his lowered voice became serious. I ain't see him, but I hearin' about him. What did you hear? There been considerable stir on the edge of town, I reckon, he answered gravely. And they've been having some trouble out at the beach. Beaver Beach, you mean? Yes'm. They've been some shooting going on out that way. She sprang forward and caught at his arm without speaking. Go loudin' all right, he said reassuringly. Ain't nothing happened to him. Now as I can make out from the talk, that happy fear gone under rampage again, and they have to send for Mr. Loudon to come in a hurry. End of chapter 13